The sermon text for this day is found in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. John 15, verses 1 through 8. And here Jesus is speaking to his disciples. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a person remains in me and I remain in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord Jesus Christ, we give you thanks and praise for these words that you spoke so many years ago, but which still speak truth into our lives and into our world today. Help us to remain in you and to bear much fruit for your sake. Guide these thoughts, these reflections, and all of the ways that you speak to each of our hearts through these words over the next few minutes. And may you be glorified in all that we say and do. In Jesus' name. Amen. There are two crucial metaphors in the New Testament that describe the importance of our connectedness to Jesus. Not just the mental assent of saying, I believe in Jesus, I believe that he died for my sins and everything's good. But the continued spiritual connection between us and Christ. Two main metaphors. One is the body, and the other is the vine. The body, of course, comes from Paul's reflections a little bit later in the New Testament. Um, he writes about it in 1 Corinthians, where we are the body of Christ, and Christ is the head of the body, and we are the members of the body. And the vine comes, of course, from what we read here in John 15. Jesus is the vine, and we are the branches of the vine. And I was reminded this week, actually, Tara, who's uh, away at uh, Ministry Wives Retreat this weekend. She's coming back almost now, um, just about over. But she sent me a, a meme this week. We send memes to each other to entertain each other through the week. And uh, Heather, I've got it up here. 
the first one is this. I am divine. Jesus says, you are de branches. <laughs> kind of a fun play on words there, right? Um, I am divine. And it happened that he said it in this week's sermon text. So I thought, that's perfect. We should just have it there. I don't normally start with a joke, but here we are. That's, that's it. Okay, enough of that. Now you can get back to the other one there, Heather. Um, the first metaphor of our connectedness to Jesus, the metaphor of the body, is important because it reminds us that we draw our consciousness, our thoughts, our ideas, our inspirations, our instructions, our commands. We draw all of these things from Jesus who is the head. But the second metaphor, the vine, the the main one for today, is important because it reminds us that we draw our life, our existence, our vitality, our spiritual nutrition from Jesus the vine. Both of these metaphors highlight our role in doing the work of God's kingdom on behalf of Jesus. In the first metaphor, the metaphor of the body, Christ is the head and we are all of the other parts of the body. The arms, the legs, the eyes, the ears, the feet. We are necessary to the work of the body. The head can't do it by itself. The head needs all of these other parts to accomplish what the head wants to do. And in the second metaphor, the vine... We are similarly important to carrying on the work because the work of a vine is to produce fruit. And the stalk of the vine anyway doesn't produce its own fruit, uh, I guess, in terms of grapevines or something like that. Uh, It's the branches that do the work of producing the fruit. And the fruit that gets produced serves a couple of roles. Fruit nourishes other creatures if someone happens along and eats the grape. But the fruit also contains the seed for the replication of the plant, the the new life that can come about in another patch of soil somewhere else. Nutrition and replication. The branch is crucial to both sides of of those goals, both, both of those goals that the vine has. The vine metaphor is what is in view here in John 15. And Heather, you can advance to the next slide, because that's where we're going to think today. These two roles of the branches are incredibly important for us to, to think about and to internalize for ourselves. Branches of the vine have these two roles, to be connected to the vine and to bear fruit on behalf of the vine. There are two things that branches have to do. And Jesus highlights this over and over and over again in John 15. You should read this section again, John 15, 1 through 8. Scan through it again and see how many times, count how many times Jesus refers to connecting to the vine, remain in me, abide in me, let my words remain in you. He says it over and over and over again. And the second purpose, the second function, bearing fruit. How many times? Count them. How many times does Jesus say, bear fruit? If you do not bear fruit, you should bear fruit. It is to my Father's glory that you bear fruit. He's always talking about those two themes, those two functions in this passage. Being connected to the vine, the first function, is another way of talking about 
spiritual formation. Or if you like discipleship or your own personal relationship with Christ, it's about the inner work, the internal work of drawing closer and closer to Christ. That's connected to the vine. And the second function, the bearing fruit, is, if you like, the, the missional activity, the outreach, the, the spreading to other places, the ministering to other people, the outward work. There's the internal work and then there's the external work. But there's an order to these two things, both in terms of a vine and in terms of our own lives. The first has to come first. The second cannot happen if the first is not in place. If you're not connected to the vine, you have no chance of bearing fruit. You can be connected to the vine and bear no fruit, I suppose. Um, on our tomato plants down at the parsonage, there are some of these branches that wither up and shrivel off and die because the energy is going to other branches. I suppose that can happen, but a branch that falls off of the vine cannot produce fruit on its own. It's lost its life. It's lost its connection. In this month of September, we are digging into a tool for spiritual formation that I introduced last week a tool called the Enneagram. This is a tool not just to find out what kind of person you are, but how you can actually be connected to the vine. Part of what we're going to explore today are are some ideas about how to be connected, more deeply connected to the vine who is Jesus. Specific practices, in other words, that can help us in our spiritual growth. Not all of us engage in spiritual practices in the same way. Some of us prefer quiet kinds of prayer. Others of us prefer being out in nature. Others prefer journaling or listening to music or connecting to God in other kinds of ways. And and part of the work of the Enneagram is to identify which of the nine types best represents who you are. And that can help you understand what kinds of spiritual activities might be most meaningful for you. But there are a couple of different types of activities that we're going to refer to, and Heather, the next slide, refers to these with the language we're going to use. There are two types of spiritual habits that you'll see in the, in the journal as you read about the different types, and I'll explain them here. Downstream habits and upstream habits. So now we're shifting metaphors a little bit. Think of yourself as a fish or as a canoer, um, going downstream is easier than going upstream, right? Downstream habits are those spiritual activities, those practices that you find fulfilling and fun and easy and life-giving, things that are very natural for you to do, things that you look forward to doing. Uh, Upstream habits are those that are harder for you to do, things that you find difficult, not always fun, but challenging to your soul and stretching you beyond what is comfortable. Now, I think the reality of the situation is that we need each type of practice in our lives. We need both downstream habits and upstream habits. 
We need a healthy blend of both because if you only have downstream habits in your life, to use that language, if you only have the spiritual practices that are, that are comfortable and easy and, and, and good, there's nothing wrong with them. But if you only kind of go with the flow, then there's no challenge. There's no stretching. There's no growing necessarily. Uh, you're working within your comfort zone. And on the other hand, if you only do upstream habits, if you're only swimming against the current, I hate reading five chapters of scripture every day, but somebody told me I had to do this and it just bores me to tears and I don't want it, but I've got to do it. And this is pain. It's a good thing to do. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with doing that. But if that's the only kind of spiritual activity you have, it's not going to be that meaningful for you or you'll burn yourself out. You'll get wiped out and you'll finally probably just stop doing it unless you're doggedly persistent. And I know some of you are, and that's fine. But uh, that's okay. Uh, We need a blend of downstream and upstream habits for our spiritual health. It's the same kind of principle in any kind of physical training, too. If you're you're trying to, uh, to run or swim or climb or throw or whatever it is, whatever physical activity you're doing, you need to do physical practices that are, that are approachable and enjoyable, but you also need physical practices that are going to stretch you a bit as well. And you need them in balance with each other. The same principle for our spiritual lives. So today we're going to look at three more Enneagram types. And Heather, you can just put that image up there. The image is what you find whoops, on page two of the journal. Uh, I believe that's the page it's on. It's the the image that gives the the three triads. We're going to look at the three Enneagram types at the top of the circle today. uh, Types number eight, nine, and one. And in addition, we're going to look at how those um, downstream and upstream habits work for people in those types. The the top section of this image uh, describes what's called the instinctive center. Uh, This is a body-oriented center where uh, you engage the world more by action, more by doing, touching, feeling, uh, tangibly feeling. Last week we looked at the uh, two, three, and four types that are on the feeling center side. Those are people who engage the world more through their hearts, more through their feelings, emotions. And next week we'll look at types five, six, and seven, the thinking types. Those are people that live in their heads a lot. Uh, But today we're we're focusing on the body-oriented types. Uh, When people who are dominant in these types, 8, 9, and 1, encounter life situations, their first reaction is to do something, to, to take an action, not to reflect on what they're feeling about it, not to think about what to do, but just to go, to act. And lurking beneath the surface for people in these instinctive types is this underlying fear, uh, feeling of anger. Anger, fear, and shame are kind of just beneath the surface for each of these types, each of these triads of people. Uh, last week we mentioned how, the, how the, the, uh, when, when you're disconnected from things being good in your life, uh, the feeling types um, respond with a feeling of shame. Oh, I'm not good enough, or I've not achieved enough, or I'm not where I need to be. For, for the body types, the instinctive types, 8, 9, and 1, when you're not at peace with your world, the, one of the first feeling responses is a feeling of anger, which can uh, play itself out in, of course, a lot of different ways. 
So first we're going to look at type 8. In your journal it's on page 28. Type 8 is the challenger. The defender of justice. The logo up here is fitting because it's like the Superman logo. This is, you know, this is the superhero. Type 8. Uh, the, the type 8 person is the powerful, dominating type. Uh, this person is self-confident, decisive, protective, resourceful. The holy idea for a type 8 person, the thing that motivates their thinking, is truth. Just like Superman. Truth, justice, and the American way. Right? This is the, the primary thought that motivates all of their actions. But when truth is difficult to, to ascertain or becomes complicated in some way, the, the flip side of the holy idea is the fixation. And the fixation for a type 8 is vengeance. When uh, Superman goes bad, if that ever happens, he becomes a very vengeful kind of person. The virtue for a type 8, you see that on the bottom uh, right-hand side of the page, the virtue for a type 8 is innocence. But the flip side of that, the flip side of that feeling when innocence is not able to be achieved for whatever reason, uh, then the vice for a type 8 is lust. We're not, not talking about a sexual kind of lust, but a lust for intensity, a lust for power or control. If you are a type 8 kind of person, it's important to remember the sentence in the middle of the circle in the lower left corner of the page, Jesus is Lord. In other words, not you. <laughs> type 8 people want to be lords of things, but no, Jesus is Lord. Because the core desire for a type 8 is to protect, but the core fear is being controlled. If Jesus is Lord, then maybe that fear can be lessened a little bit. Some famous examples. I gave some famous examples last week of the other three types. Today you'll get some famous people to kind of help you uh, f uh, get a feel for how these types play out in different people's lives. Some famous examples of type 8s would include uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, Winston Churchill, Fidel Castro, Martin Luther King Jr., uh, John McCain, Donald Trump, Serena Williams, Aretha Franklin, Jack Black, John Wayne, Sean Connery, Clint Eastwood, Susan Sarandon, Roseanne Barr, Barbara Walters, Dr. Phil, uh, Tony Soprano from The Sopranos. Okay, uh, That gives you an idea of sort of who the, the, a, a typical type 8 person might be. Now, at the, on, on page 28, just below where it says Challenger Defenders of Justice, you'll see the downstream and upstream habits listed there. For a type 8 person, the downstream habits are committing to regular service opportunities. That's a way for a type 8 person to grow spiritually that's very natural for a type 8. They want to bring about justice and truth in the world, and so they'll serve other people in, in regular sorts of ways. Uh, but an upstream habit, something that's not quite natural for a type 8 person, is accountability and vulnerability. Think back to that list of famous people that I listed off that might demonstrate type 8. Can you imagine any of them being accountable or vulnerable with anybody else? Maybe, but you know, generally maybe not. Okay, that's type 8. Type 9 on the facing page there. Type 9 is the peacemaker, the secret guru. Type 9 is the easygoing, self-effacing type. P 
peaceful, reassuring, kind-hearted, maybe a little bit complacent. The holy idea for a type 9 person, that the thought that drives their actions is love. But when that cannot happen, when that becomes complicated, when love is difficult to achieve, uh, the fixation, the mental fixation for a type 9 is avoiding activity, passiveness, just kind of letting things go. The virtue for a type 9 that you see on the page there is action. Type 9 are action-oriented people, kind of like type 8s. All of these instinctive body type people are are action-oriented. But um, when that action is not able to be achieved, uh, to bring about love in the world, the vice for a type 9 is laziness. I'd just rather not do anything about it. The core desire for a type 9 that you see around the outside of the circle, the core desire for somebody in type 9 is peace. That's all that we want to do. I'll out myself as a type 9 person right now, actually. Um, I was telling the story to somebody recently this week. Um, In uh, 8th grade, I was in a U.S. history class, right? And uh, we had a debate going on. It was a structured debate where there were two sides of the classroom and we were divided up between the North and the South, U.S. Civil War. And we're debating, you know, states' rights or anti-slavery and all this this stuff. And it got kind of contentious, as things do. And I sat there in the middle of the class and said, literally said, can't we all just get along? (laughs) the, the, the core desire for a type 9 person is peace. And the core fear for a type 9 person is conflict. If you are a type 9 person like me, it's important for you to remember this sentence in the circle. When conflict comes, and the important word is when, when conflict comes, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God will give you what you need. That's important for me to remember. Some other more famous examples of type 9 people um, include Queen Elizabeth II, Abraham Lincoln, Ronald Reagan, George W. Bush, Walt Disney, Jim Henson, right? Garrison Keillor, Tony Bennett, James Taylor, Janet Jackson, Audrey Hepburn, Kevin Costner, Jeff Bridges, Morgan Freeman, Whoopi Goldberg, Jason Segel, Zoe Deschanel, Mr. Rogers. When, yeah, when I, when I read that list of people, I think, yeah, that, those are people that I have something in common with. Maybe not everything, but... And if I'm reading these lists of people and you find yourself responding saying, those are my kind of people, that might be a clue that that's maybe your type. That's where I find myself. Downstream habits for type 9 individuals uh, include time in nature and encouraging other people. These are spiritually fulfilling activities for somebody in this type uh, that are easy to do. But a difficult thing, an upstream habit that's also important for a type 9 person, and I will admit this is a difficult thing for me, fixed hour prayer, meaning it's 8 o'clock in the morning, it's time to pray. Or it's three in the afternoon, I'm going to put everything down and pray for five minutes. I find that personally challenging, difficult to do. And Bible reading plans. 
I've read the Bible through a few times, and I can't tell you how many, probably every time I've done this, uh, you know, you've got a, a Bible in a year plan, so January, February, March, it's all daily, you read all these readings every day, and by this time of year, September, October, I'm a month behind, two months behind, I'm still in July, <laughs> and it makes November and December really frantic because I'm reading, reading, I can't read, I have to read all these five, ten chapters, that every, did this to myself. It's, it's a struggle. It's a challenge. It's an upstream habit for me and for people like me in this type. Okay, enough about me. Back to type 1. You'll find type 1 back on page 21. Type 1 people are reformers. They are champions of good. Um, I, I mentioned, this isn't fair, I mentioned Tara as a type 1 last week. And now today she's not here when we're talking about type 1. Um, so don't think about her at all as I'm reading these descriptions, if you know her. This won't sound like her in any way. She is, oh, oh wait, type 1s are organized, idealist, perfectionistic, and maybe a little bit critical. Uh, type 1 people are um, motivated by the holy idea, the mental idea of perfection. Things must be perfect. But when that's difficult to achieve, when perfection is not possible to take place, then the fixation, the mental fixation for a type 1 is resentment. It can't be perfect. I'm going to resent whatever caused it to not be perfect. Okay? The, the virtue, the, the um, emotional uh, pull, the, the emotional goal for a type 1 individual is sincerity. See that on the bottom of the page there? The virtue for a type 1 is sincerity. But when you, uh, when you find people being insincere, or you find yourself being insincere for whatever reason, the vice, the opposite feeling is anger. There's a great deal of anger when people aren't being... I, again, I don't have Tara perfectly right in front of my mind while I'm saying any of these things. No. Uh, anyway. Sorry. Not fair. It's not fair. Okay, but right. Uh, the the vice for a type one is anger. I know. Isn't this being very type nine actually disintegrating to a three? That's okay. Uh, the right. Where am I? Oh yes. The core desire. The core desire for a type one is integrity, but the core fear for a type one is being corrupt. So if you find yourself as a type 1 individual um, being uh, dominant in type 1, this sentence is important for you to remember. Salvation does not depend on you. And that, that can be a very challenging thing. Some famous examples of type 1 individuals. Um, Nelson Mandela, Margaret Thatcher, Jimmy Carter, Al Gore, Hillary Clinton, Rudy Giuliani. George Bernard Shaw, Martha Stewart, George Harrison, Celine Dion, Keith Olbermann, Jerry Seinfeld, Tina Fey, Catherine Hepburn, Julie Andrews, Meryl Streep, Harrison Ford, Mary Poppins, the type one, Mr. Spock, the type one, right? A downstream habit for somebody in this type that you see on the page there. Um, something that's fulfilling and natural for a type 1 individual. Body-oriented, action-oriented kind of person to do. Walking in nature, 
meditating on God's word. These are spiritually fulfilling activities that are kind of natural for somebody in this category. But an upstream habit, something that's difficult to do, is to focus and sit down and journal. Journaling is not a a type 1 specialty, typically speaking. Um, One of the... I'll skip that, that's fine. Never mind. There's a sentence there, but I'm going to ignore it. All three of these types, types 8, 9, and 1, are body-oriented, active, instinctive types. They're interested in action, more so than thinking or feeling. And you get a feel as we, you get a feel, as we look at these three types, how different these three types are from last week's types when we looked at the feeling center, types two, three, and four. Those were motivated by their feelings, their guts. These types, eight, nine, and one, are motivated just by their instincts, by their bodies. They've got to move and do something. And next week, like I said, we'll look at types 5, 6, and 7, those that are motivated by what they think, that that, that are motivated by their heads. Now, each of us, regardless of what type you might think you fall into, each of us has the capacity to operate out of all three of these centers, the, the mind and the heart. We simply tend to be dominant in one of these three centers more so than the others. Now, all of this is related to the idea of remaining connected to the vine. Remember John 15 and the importance of staying connected to the vine. Because we can remain connected to the vine through any of these three types of centers. Your body, your mind, or your feelings, your emotions. These are all valid ways for us to remain in Jesus. uh, Abiding with Jesus through the discipline of prayer. And uh, what I have in your bulletins here, this blue sheet of paper, and Heather, the last slide that's up there, are three forms of prayer that can help you connect with Jesus, to help you stay connected to the vine, from the perspective of one of these three centers of beings, our bodies, our hearts, or our minds. So first, uh, the centering prayer. I'm not going to read through all of this. This is uh, on the blue sheet. I'm not going to read through it all. You can read this on your own time. But this is a, a, the centering prayer is a prayer that comes from the feeling center, from your, from your guts, from your, uh, from your heart internally. Uh, basically, a centering prayer is 20 minutes or so of sitting quietly, idly, and releasing over and over and over again any distracting thoughts, any feelings that show up, uh, focusing your attention on God's presence. And there's some specific ways of, of approaching that. But it's about allowing your feelings to kind of run their course and, and then concentrating your, your heart on God's presence and action within you. Centering prayer is something that we were introduced to a year and a half ago during the Doctor of Ministry project that, uh, that you all went through with me. We had a, a session on it, a Saturday afternoon session once upon a time. Centering prayer. You could practice that. The second form of prayer, uh, at the bottom of the, the front side of the page there, is called the prayer of examine. And that's not a typo. That's how it's spelled, not examine, like our English word I-N-E, uh, but it ends just E-X-A-M-E-N, examine. 
Um, and it's a mental kind of prayer. It's a, a head-oriented prayer. Typically, this is done at the end of a day, um, after you've had a day's worth of experiences, and as you're laying down to go to bed or whatever, um, you use this time of prayer to reflect back mentally on your day. And you think back through your experiences from that day for moments that were close to God and moments that were far away from God. They call these moments of consolation and moments of desolation. Moments of consolation are when you noticed that God was approaching you or God wasn't coming near to you through some interaction that you had or you noticed something in nature or whatever it was. You noticed God was coming close. A moment of desolation is not when God was moving away from you because God never moves away from us. But when we moved away from God, maybe our thoughts led us down a bad path or we took an action that was offensive to God or offensive to someone else or something like this. We did something wrong. A moment of desolation. And this prayer of examine is a chance for you to reflect on those experiences from the day, to celebrate the good, to grieve the bad, and um, then to pray and resolve for the future, to move ahead to the next day with hope that maybe tomorrow will be just a little bit, you you will have new consolations and maybe fewer of those desolations. It's a very head-oriented prayer. On the back side of the page, you'll find a a body center prayer, a body-oriented and instinctive kind of prayer called the welcoming prayer. Uh, The welcoming prayer is just um, taking time, taking time in prayer to welcome all of the experiences, all of the feelings and emotions and thoughts and sensations, everything that's going on inside your body and welcoming them and welcoming God into them as well. And as you pray, you consent to God's healing presence in the midst of your everyday activities so that you can uh, respond skillfully to life's circumstances rather than reacting out of fear or shame or anger. This seems a little vague, so let me give you an example. This is something that I do every Sunday morning. And I've done this every Sunday morning for years. And I did not realize this was a a welcoming kind of prayer or a body-centered sort of prayer um, until I started this week and put the pieces together. But this is, as a type 9 individual, I'm an instinctive, body-oriented kind of person. And this is how I've prayed. Um, I've mentioned to you in the past my struggles with anxiety. I take medication to balance my uh, chemical things out and give me you know, stability and all this stuff, which is really nice. Um, I've seen counselors in the past. This has all been very helpful to me. But the the prayer is another side of it. One of the outworkings of my anxiety is bodily distress. (laughs) Won't go into too many details, but it's gut-oriented displeasure. It's not fun. Um, I I get the queasiness and I feel like I'm going to pass out and all this stuff. Um, Panic attacks are kind of in line with this. I've had a few of those, even on Sunday mornings. Before, uh, it's been a long time now, but I've been in my office just paralyzed, sitting in my chair, not to move, because I would have to stand in front of you all, and I'd have to be around people. It's it's irrational, doesn't make sense, but that's what anxiety is, it's irrational. Uh, And so these, these panic attacks were very real to me, and I began to learn to pray a body oriented prayer. I walk from the parsonage, two houses that way, to the church. Every Sunday morning, I walk, unless the weather's really, really terrible. 
Even when it's cold and snowy, I try to walk because it gives me time to, to still myself. And as I walk from there to here, I pray, God, help my stomach to be calm and help me not to panic. Every week, I've prayed that. <laughs> For years, I have prayed that. Help my stomach to be calm and help me not to panic. It's a welcoming prayer. Because it's recognizing this is the reality of the body that I am. It doesn't always operate in ways that I understand, but I'm going to welcome God into this mess and try to make sense of it somehow and help me to make it through the day. And generally with that and the medication and the counseling and all the stuff that happens, it's, it, I, I haven't really had the, the issues that I've had since you know, several years ago when I started this whole routine. It's a welcoming kind of prayer. I hope that gives you a little bit of context for what this is, because the welcoming prayer sounds a little bit uh, strange, because it's body-oriented. Okay, again, enough about me. So, uh, the challenge for you, for this week, is to see if you can identify what type you might be dominant in. We've now looked at six of the nine types that there are, um, and maybe, chances are, two-thirds of a chance, your type has been listed. Maybe you are described. Um, if not, maybe you're in one of those three types that we haven't looked at just yet. Um, do some more reading. Do some more thinking. Maybe you've taken one of the online uh, tests that are, that, are, that are linked. The links are in the journals there on page 20. Um, figure out what type you might be dominant in. And then consider those downstream and upstream habits that are listed in the journal. And the challenge for you is to make an effort to engage in both of those kinds of activities for your type this week. Make an effort to do a downstream activity, spiritual growth activity, and an upstream one. If you're a type one and you hate journaling, see if you can just set 10 minutes aside to journal some thoughts about, about how much you hate journaling or whatever it is, or what God is saying to you, something like this. See if, see if you can do that. Uh, and then uh, with these three types of prayer on the blue sheet of paper, I gave that to you so you could take it home. Uh, try one of those. If one of those sounds uh, interesting to you, give it a shot. Try it a couple of times, two or three times this week, and see, uh, see if it means anything to you. See if you hear something from God differently or if you experience God's presence differently. I will tell you this. Um, Everything I read about the centering prayer in particular, because it's a very popular one these days, um, the suggestion is to pray, centering, do the, do the centering prayer 20 minutes a day, two times a day, 20 minutes a time, every day for six months, and then you might have an idea of what centering prayer is like. <laughs> so this is not just a one-week thing, you know, that, oh, now I'm going to have this conquered, I'm going to know what this kind of prayer is like. No, we're talking about, this, these are habits that you can develop for long periods of time in your life and only see the fruit of them after a long period of time. So if you try some of these prayer uh, methods and they don't really do much for you, don't allow that to discourage you. Spiritual formation is a process. It takes time. Um, We're the branches of the vine, right? And branches don't produce fruit immediately all the time. Sometimes they just take some time to get their things together and the fruit will come. Trust that the fruit will come because you're connected to the vine. Right? Okay. Let's pray together. God, I give you thanks for this tool of spiritual formation, the Enneagram, 
Thank you for uh, your word that reminds us of the importance of being connected to the vine and of bearing fruit. Help us to, as we learn about ourselves, uh, help us to, to stay connected to you and to take the, the chance of uh, remaining connected over long periods of time by, by engaging in spiritual practices that draw us close to you. Help us to find you along the way as we go through our journeys. And, um, and we pray that you would help us to bear fruit that will nourish the world and will, uh, and will spread your kingdom and the message of the gospel uh, to all those whom we meet. Thank you for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As a reminder, friends, there are discussion questions in, uh, in your journal that are group questions. I mean, you can answer them on your own if you like, um, but these are written for people to answer in groups. Just as a reminder, if you'd like to see about putting a group of people together, you can sign up on the sheet that's out on the table uh, where the books are located, and we'll, we'll see if we can get enough people together to put a group together. Well, who knows? If not, no big deal, but you know, give you that chance. To, to process things together. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Uh, a, a branch on a vine has to totally trust that that vine is going to support it and give it life. I invite you to stand if you're able and we'll sing our closing hymn, number 647. We'll sing verses 1 and 4. sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know that saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. Oh, for grace to trust him more. I'm so glad I learned to trust him, precious Jesus, Savior, friend. And I know that he is with me, he'll be with me to the end. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I Jesus, precious Jesus, all for grace to trust him more. Brothers and sisters, fellow branches of the vine, go this week trusting that the vine will hold you up and will not cast you off. Trusting that the vine will give you the fruit that you need to produce for the sake of the world. Go in his name, knowing that you belong to that vine who is Jesus Christ. Go in his name and share his name. Share his life with those around you, in your household, in your community, in your goings, in your comings. Be his people this week. Until he comes back, that is our charge. Go in his name and be blessed.